So I guarantee you that I'm going to stumble over stuff. I'm going to forget stuff. But I prayed. I prayed that the Holy Spirit would speak through me. Because frankly, if he doesn't speak, anything I say is of no significance whatsoever. So uh, let's get started. God, thank you, worship team. Man, I, uh, anybody can preach in this environment because the Spirit of God is here. Uh, he, he is very present in this place, and I'm so glad that, uh, that we are in his presence today. Thank you for all the teams that, that have made this possible, the welcome, uh, welcome the Connect team, the audiovisual team, the multimedia team, uh, the worship team, and everybody else, like I said, that I probably forgot because I'm nervous. Uh, thank you. Thank you for creating this environment for us to come together and worship God together. Um, as Gabby said, uh, this is my first time preaching here at Riverside Lisbon, so bear with me. I mean, you didn't get Pastor Ruben or Pastor Gabby, uh, so this is what you got. Uh, so uh, for, those of <laughs> uh, for those of you who are here for the first time, uh, my condolences then that you didn't get a chance to get uh, the pastors here, but... Uh, but hopefully that if I, if I can uh, uh, deliver this message as the Spirit directs, you'll be blessed by it. Amen. So we're starting a new series uh, today called Kingdom Come. And uh, Jesus, as you know, prayed this prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so sometimes, you know, when you see this message delivered, you, when you think of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, you know, you kind of... What does that mean? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What's the kingdom all about? Um, so I'm going to make a couple of promises up front. I don't know if anybody's ever done this before, but I'm going to make a couple of promises. I'm going to promise because I trust that the Holy Spirit is going to answer prayer that everybody's been praying this past week. One of the promises is our preconceived notions about the kingdom of God will be challenged. I'm going to promise that one. I'm also going to promise that as a result of this series, we will desire to draw more and more close to Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm going to promise. So you guys are going to have to bring that promise to pass, okay? <laughs> Can't be just me. All right. So the kingdom of heaven. So what is the kingdom this is going to be, let me, let me, get, let me cover this, because the kingdom is near is today, three-part series, and we're going to just talk about the kingdom is near. We're going to dig into that. We're going to unpack that a little bit. Then it's going to be living in the kingdom. Gabby is going to preach that next week. Can't wait for that one. That's going to be exciting. Do not miss any part of this series, because I'm telling you, it's going to take you through the process of entering the kingdom, living in the kingdom, uh, and enjoying eternal life in the kingdom as well. So you don't want to miss any part of that because it's all a part of the gospel of the kingdom. Amen? Amen. All right. And then third week, Pastor Ruben is going to come in and talk about the eternal kingdom. Do not miss it. Do not miss it, right? So when we think about the kingdom of heaven, we kind of think of, I don't know, people in, in white, right, singing and, and worshiping God. We Maybe angels flapping around and you know, Jesus walking amongst us and everything, and we're seeing Moses, and we're seeing Abraham and everything. 
But kind of, if we need to seek the kingdom first, we need to have an understanding. What am I seeking? What is the kingdom? What do you mean by that? Right? So initially, when Jesus said, uh, when he came on the scene, he was saying, uh, actually, let's go to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, in those days, came before Jesus, just kind of predicting his coming, right? Just saying, there's one coming after me. So he comes preaching in the wilderness here. Now in the days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So in the entire wilderness of Judea, around the Jordan River, John the Baptist comes and says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, for those who <laughs> are there in this culture, that is kind of a revolutionary message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? I don't, I, we, we've never experienced any word like that before about the kingdom. We've always seen the kingdom as a distant kind of a, this is something for me in the future. And so I don't, I don't know what you're saying, John. So what is John saying? So after he says it, Jesus comes and says the same exact thing. Same exact thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So to help us understand, as he went through Galilee teaching in the synagogues, I'm going to just give these scriptures, and I'm going to have some of you guys read it too because I got some scriptures for you to back up what I'm saying. So uh, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So to get a foundation, Let's talk about what Jesus talked about. His main message, wherever he went, was the gospel of the kingdom. If that's the case, then we need to really know what is the gospel of the kingdom? Because we hear all kinds of gospels. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. We got the gospel of prosperity, right? Name it and claim it, blab it and grab it all these different gospels that are out there, right? But the gospel of the kingdom is what Jesus preached. And we need to understand that the kingdom is what he's, what he's saying to us is the kingdom has always been here, but I'm now showing you that it's available to you, right? So I think that, that kind of like that culture back then, we have a tendency to feel distant, maybe a little distant from God from time to time, you know? And... And sometimes we go, where are you, God? And, and we, we automatically think, you know, uh, our Father who is in heaven. We kind of in, interge inject that distance from God inadvertently. Like, he's in heaven, I'm here on earth. And so somehow that makes us feel like, is he hearing me? Does he care? You know, am I just talking to the ceiling or, you know? <laughs> What's going on, right? It's like some people, I mean, they, they've told me they felt like if I'm praying to the ceiling and it just bounces back. Nobody's hearing me, right? But the message is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen. So give you an idea of this area that Jesus was preaching in, in uh, the surrounding areas of Galilee. Um, just bring this map up here. Can anybody see this? Okay. So the Bible says that he came... Uh, and preached, and then all the people in Decapolis, 
the capitalist goes from up in Damascus, way up there, down to Philadelphia, and that's about 184 kilometers. And all the surrounding areas down to Scythopolis. I'm gonna just say, I know I'm not pronouncing it right. Scythopolis. So all the people from those areas came and to hear Jesus preach. And it all culminated in the Sermon on the Mount. They come and he's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then just started healing everybody that came. Now, the Bible says crowds came to hear him. So interesting they didn't say a crowd. Crowds came to hear him preach. So imagine all the peoples from these surrounding areas coming in to listen to Jesus once and then healing all their diseases. So now Jesus is doing what, what we would call in school show and tell. Right? So I'm gonna, there's going to be healing everywhere. There's going to be deliverance everywhere. People who are in pain, no more pain. People who are sick, no more sickness. People who are possessed by demons, no more demons. Right? Free. Free. And then he goes into Matthew chapter 5 and starts preaching. All right? So let's go back before we talk about what he was preaching. Let's talk about getting an understanding of a kingdom. So aren't there some words in our language that are kind of, we assume we know what they mean. And then when somebody says it, like if I say the word good, basic word, four-letter word, good. If I said define good, we're like, whoa, uh, good. <laughs> How do you define good, right? So sometimes we think we know what kingdom means or any other term that Jesus may have used, and we have really no idea what kingdom means, right? So I thought we'd define it. An area or sphere in which one holds a preeminent position, okay? Preeminent simply means supreme, the highest, right? So the kingdom of heaven, right, we already know that it's a kingdom, so therefore there's a king, and the king is God. Are we clear on that? The kingdom is an area, a sphere of influence over which one holds a preeminent position. God would be the kingdom of heaven because that's his area, <laughs> right? But sometimes we don't have a real clear picture of what heaven is. Fair enough. We've heard a lot of teachings about heaven. We, the gospel of heaven. We have a gospel of heaven. And all about what heaven is about, right? So let's define heaven. Let's go, if it goes, to Genesis 1, through, 1, 6 through 10. So what I need somebody to do is read it for me. Don, can you yes, read? Sir. Start reading on Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 6 to 10. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. Okay. Thank you. So, let's get, make sure we have a clear picture here, because sometimes it can be a little confusing, so I kind of went through this over and over, sifted through it, okay? So, in the beginning, there were waters above and waters below, right? The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and now God is now in the, in, the, in the creation phase separating 
So let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Are we clear? So there's an expanse, a space here, okay? So he separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And of course, because he's God, it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning, a second, a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. All right. So what did God call the expanse? What did he call the area below the expanse? Earth. So he said, let the dry land appear. And then the waters that were remaining were the seas. We have the earth. We have the expanse. And then we have the, what's called the waters above the expanse. So the question is, where does heaven begin then? Right? Is it like above everything? Is it like above that impenetrable, wa those waters he's talking about? Where is heaven? Heaven, it says in Genesis, right at the beginning, is where the ground ends, right? And space is like that whole expanse between us and space is heaven. Everybody clear? Everybody agree that's what the Bible says? That's, that's the main thing. God called the expanse heaven. So why is this important, though? Why is this like, why are we digging down into this? Because the king of the kingdom of heaven, God, Jesus Christ, said, pray this way. Our father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See here, where he's in heaven, right? Now, of course, he's ever present. He's everywhere, right? But what we need to understand is that he's in heaven right here with us right now. How would that change us if we just constantly think that he's right here? Every moment of every day, he's right beside us. How would that change my behavior? How would that change your behavior? Revolutionary, that God is in heaven and heaven is right here. I'll prove it to you. I know you don't believe me, I can see. Right? Because he says, well, he said, our father, which art in heaven. He did. There's a literal translation. That's Young's literal translation, Y-L-T. Thus, therefore, pray ye, our father who art in the heavens. Hallowed be thy name. So we know Paul said it when he talked about being kept, uh, caught up to the third heaven. Paul said, I was in third heaven. I saw things uh, that were unbelievable. I heard uh, things that I could, that can't even speak. He's talking about that heaven we talked about, above the expanse, right? Above the expanse. So let's stay with it. Then God said, let us make man. So now, after he has created all these things, right? And he has created the expanse. He's created the heavens and the earth. And Jesus was instructing us later to say, our father, which is in the heavens, we know he's not just in one heaven. He's in all the heavens because he's omnipresent. He's always here, always there. In Psalms it says, where can I go 
Where can I hide from you? Where can I flee from your presence? It's a rhetorical question. We know. Nowhere. We can't go anywhere, right? God's presence. Everything that exists is in God's presence. So we know that he is here. He's there. He's everywhere, right? So, but there can sometimes be a, dis a distance we perceive. We even sing it in our songs sometimes. God of wonders beyond our galaxy, right? You are holy, right? But, but still, perceived distance can sometimes create emotional distance from God. So uh, my son and I were having a conversation uh, on the phone. He's back in the U.S. in North Carolina, and of course I'm here in Lisbon. And we were talking, and I just, I just felt like telling him, you know, it's been a long time since I spoke with you. And I never intended that. You know, I always wanted to remain close to you, but it seems like since we moved to Portugal, now there's this a little bit of distance here. It's not so much, we're not taking the care as much as we did then to stay in contact with each other, to, to remain intimate. And sometimes we can do that with God. You know, it's like we, we perceive the distance unintentionally, inadvertently, right? But still, we feel that distance. You know, of course, it's not, a, it's not him, right? It's us for, for whatever reason there is. But what we need to do is just in our minds, close that distance. Understand he is the father who is in the heavens and hallowed be his name. Side note, I didn't take any, I didn't put any notes on here. Side note, I should have promised that I would go down rabbit holes once in a while. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, but it seems as if when we, we, like for instance, in the beginning when Adam and Eve were walking in the garden, there was such an intimacy there that they could hear God walking in the garden. And some translations say, I heard your voice in the garden, as other translations say, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden. Can you feel that? That is our spirit yearning for that intimacy with God. That's what we feel when we hear that, you know? It's, it's just, it was such an intimate relationship with God that they knew it was God walking in the garden. They knew it, they knew his voice. They sensed his presence. And the sound of him walking in, was he humming? You know, was he speaking? What, you know, what is it? But, but just think of that, that closeness that they had there, right? And God, when God created man, um, he said, let us make man in our own image and our own likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God is saying, I'm going to rule, you're going to rule. That's the relationship. I'm going to give you your own kingdom. The kingdom is the earth. You rule over all the earth, everything that moves on the earth, by my, by my permission, by the authority that I give you here. And we will co-rule together for all eternity. That's the goal. That's the intimacy. That was the intended kingdom. That's how the kingdom was created. And so out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought, to prove it, that this was how the rule was going to work, he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. 
Think about that. That's, that's God saying, I created, I own everything. I created everything. But whatever you call it, that's what it's going to be. That's astounding. That's authority on the earth. That's ruling. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. So if you see a giraffe today, you can thank Adam. That's what he's the one who named it. Yep. But he co-ruled with God. God could have done it. He, I mean, he named, <laughs> he named Adam, of course, right? He named the man. But everything else, he let Adam name. Everything else. All right. So I'm going to stop here because the bad news is coming. All right. In this intimate relationship, in this fellowship with God, in this walk with God, this daily communing with him, in enters an outsider, right? The serpent, right? We all know the bad story, right? We, I hate to take you through uh, painful reminders of, of the fall, but it's, it's important because we need to understand what actually happened when Adam and Eve fell, okay? So let's go back. I'm going to recap, and then we'll get to this. God created all the trees in the garden, every herb, every fruit-yielding seed. You can eat anything you like, anything, except don't eat the fruit of the, knowledge, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just don't, just don't eat it, right? And we wonder sometimes, why would, God, why would God give us an opportunity to, to do something that he commanded us not to do? And the answer really is pretty simple, is that God always gave us our own little personal kingdom. That's what we are, right? So if you don't believe that, uh, then see if your body will brush its own teeth tomorrow morning, right? We have our own personal kingdom. It's limited, of course. It's not, you know, it's not the whole earth like it was intended. But you have, you wash your hair, you comb your hair, you brush your teeth, you go to work, you do all these things. These are the things in your kingdom. You have that realm of authority, that sphere of influence there. God did not want to invade Adam and Eve's sphere of influence. He gave them that kingdom. So, however, the only thing you can do if God doesn't give you any choices is just do what he wants you to do. You have no choice. You're just going to be a robot. Even though you're not, you're not aware of it, yeah, you're just going to be automatically do what God says. And God, that's not the kind of relationship he wants. God is love. Therefore, the relationship he wants is love. And the only time you really should love anybody is by choice. Right? Anybody want to be forced to love somebody? People try it, right? They try to, to rule their kingdom and other people's kingdoms, right? But, but nobody wants to be loved, or nobody wants to love by obligation, by force, or anything. And God did not want that of Adam and Eve either. I have to give them a choice to love me. I have to give them a choice to serve me. I have to give them a choice to obey me. Because he will not violate that. It's a part of, it's the essence of who we are. If we have no choices, we live a miserable existence. If you have no choice. So God gives us the choice. 
So they have the choice. Now, all you got to do is not eat the tree. That's all. Just don't eat of the tree. And the enemy comes in and goes, did God say you can't eat any fruit from any tree? They basically said, did God say you can't eat any of any of the trees in the garden? So he just threw out the outrageous for her, right? The outrageous, the God who's so good, the God who made everything, the God who supplies all your needs, everything, actually said don't eat. And she, No, that's not what he said. He said, don't, of all the trees in the garden, you can eat it. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. Neither touch it, right, or you will die. So here's the scenario. I can't back it up by scripture, but we can kind of, let's let our thinking caps guide us and let's let our imagination guide us. So she was wrong, right? God did not say, don't touch the tree. God simply said, don't eat it. So do you think it was possible? I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. Do you think it was possible that he, you know, she was at the tree, he was talking to her, and he was kind of like, he was undermining her, her, her confidence, right? She, he's planting doubt. So you think she might have even touched the tree, maybe? And then I didn't die. So maybe if I eat it, I won't die either, right? And then the enemy goes, yeah, you're not going to die. Right? It's possible, right? We're not, we're not saying that's the way it was, right? Because the Bible doesn't record that. But it's the way the enemy does. He, he tries to undermine your confidence, plant doubt, and then get you to act on that doubt. And that's what he did. And so now this is what happened. Adam was standing right there. God told you to keep the garden, Adam. You didn't do it. So you took the fruit as well that Eve gave to you, you ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. Here's the problem with the knowledge of good and evil. Because we have a tendency to think, ah, I probably wouldn't have done that if I was in Adam's place. I was like, God just directly spoke to you and said, don't eat it. So that's simple. Don't eat it, right? Uh, until you look at your life today, until I look at my life today, and God has spoken an instruction in my life, and the first thing that happens is, hmm, I don't know. Did God really say that? First thing, first thing, yes, we would have done the exact same thing that Adam did. Uh, we just, we just, you know, we doubt. Doubt comes in easily to us. Um, how many times has God said something to you and you struggle with it? <laughs> I'm praying about it, you know, um, and didn't just obey immediately. We just, it, it's, that's, how, that's who we are. We, it's in our nature now. Now that's, that Adam and Eve sinned. So they knew. That's unfortunate because now it's a knowledge that's corrupted, right? It's, it's brought down from the knowledge of God teaching us to be good all the way down to us believing we know what's good and evil. It was a demotion. It was a dethronement. We abdicated the throne, the kingdom that God gave us, we abdicated the throne to the enemy, 
And now the enemy is called the God of this world. If you think about that, it's pretty interesting. That means if in, in under God's rule, we would have been able to be the gods of this world as we were fruitful and replenishing the earth. Because God gave us rule. He said, go down and subdue the earth and have dominion over it. That was the scripture. Subdue means to literally put your foot on the neck of something and force it to do your will. However, when combined with have dominion, have dominion is, is such that you go down with authority and dwell among as a kind, generous ruler. So subdue and have dominion means go down, dwell amongst all the creatures of the earth and rule as a benevolent ruler. Who's this sound like? God. Who does that say? That's God. That's how he rules over us. He's a benevolent, kind, gracious, loving ruler over us. But we still acknowledge this because he's kind and benevolent. That doesn't mean we don't acknowledge him as king. He is the ruler. Amen? Amen. There was a sign down here out in the hallway. It was just amen. It was just like sitting out there. And I was going to use that. And every time it got really quiet, I was going to just point to it. Right? It's like, you, you might not feel like saying amen, but that's the truth. So I'll just kind of go like this. <laughs> and then you guys can do it. All right. So God asked him an interesting question. Who told you you were naked? I love that. Because God asks us that, he asks us that question every, I don't know, pretty often now. It's like, you know, you oh well, you know, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not really, I'm, I mean, I think I'm a pretty good person. I'm nice. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't hurt anybody. I, you know, I give to charities and, you know, and so I'm a, I'm a good person. Who told you that? Right? Was it God? Did God tell you that? No, no, God didn't tell you that. And so now we're operating on a corrupted sense of right and wrong, a corrupted sense of good and evil, and doesn't take much. Listen to the news for five minutes, social media, and you can see we're operating under a corrupted sense of right and wrong and good and evil. And so we need, we needed a life change. We needed a, re a, a reset in our mind. So the fall happens. Now we're operating under our own understanding. That's why Proverbs 3, 5 says, lean not. <laughs> To your own understanding. Let me skip ahead there. Oh, that's that's bad. Sorry about that. Told you. Told you. Told you what I was gonna do. Right? Um, so it's it's blank. It's supposed to be right there. And it's not. So, but Proverbs 3 5 says, lean not to your own understanding. Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Why? Because your own understanding now has been corrupted. You think, how many times have you made a decision, thought it was great, and then regretted it later? Anybody? Only two people. That's awesome. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Because we thought it was right. We thought it was good. It's corrupted. It's corrupted. We just don't know. And now, so we don't, we're instructed not to lean on our own understanding, but to trust in the Lord. 
So thousands of years passed, millennia. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, you know, you got, you know, okay, you had judges, you had kings, you had prophets and everything, and they were proclaiming the word of the Lord throughout. But Israel was not really, that wasn't a stabilizing influence on Israel, right? They were just kind of like up and down, up and down, up and down. And so after a while, the Lord just spoke to Malachi. Uh, Dina, could you read this for me, please? Because I'm tired of hearing my voice. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And you would think, like, oh, God, don't kill us all. Right? Don't kill us all. It's like, what would it? And, we, and, you know, like you said, thousands of years go by. This thing with Adam has happened. We've gotten further and further and further away from God. And now God says, listen, I'm going to send you somebody, and they're going to warn you. I'm warning you now. When they come, they're going to tell you, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then there's 400 years of silence, over 400 years, 400 years of silence from God. No prophet speaking, no, you know, it just, would. this would worry me. <laughs> you know what I mean? The nation now is, they're adrift. They are lost and they have no direction from God. 400 years. Generations are born, live, and die born, live, and die over that 400-year period. And I'm sure the nation of Israel is like, where is God? We need, we need him so desperately now because that's the last word he gave us. It's like, and so please, God, send this man. Please send this man. When is he coming? And then all of a sudden, in the wilderness, 400 years later, plus, you hear. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent's an interesting word. Repent is, of course, when we think of sin, we think of uh, stop that and turn your heart back toward God. But repent also has a meaning, it bears a meaning of turning. So, thank you, Sarah. Don't you hate it when somebody takes a drink of water and just instantly makes you thirsty? Okay. <laughs> so, repent has a, has a meaning of turning as well. So, I say to you, I'm going upstairs to get a cup of coffee, and I go this way. What are you going to tell me? Turn around. Coffee is that way, right? Was I in sin? Not necessarily. I was heading in the wrong direction, right? Yes, sin does mean that, uh, or sin, repentance does mean that you can turn from sin as well. But Jesus is saying, repent, turn, because your life is going. Is that right? Does that sound right? That sounds like the, okay. 
That's what he tells turn. Because if I want to get to the dining room upstairs and I want to go get some coffee, I need to change direction. Simple, right? Because a lot of people get caught up in the, in the sin thing. Yes, Jesus did come and die for our sins, but that's not the entirety of the gospel. The entirety of the gospel also includes how your life right now is changed by the availability of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Before, totally lost, especially the people of, of Israel were lost because they had been given the covenants. They had been given the commandments. They had been given the prophets. And now 400 years of silence, nothing. I'm lost. Lord, what we need some good news. And then you get this. Once upon a time in the land of Judah, there lived a special boy, a carpenter's son, from the house of David. He was born. Everywhere he go, a crowd would gather. Around to hear the things he had to say. And it was so amazing when he said, For this is the kingdom of heaven. For they shall be comforted. Oh, blessed are those that are pure in heart, for they shall seek God. These are the promises of God. The stories of love were so sweet and tender. And yet he spoke with such authority. He spoke of his father's love and the unseen things above. The weak, weary, and the defiled all sat around him just like a little child. And it was so amazing when he said ask hey shall be given seek yeah. and you shall find he said not the door will be open to you these are the promises of God I'm going to say that again. Hey, it shall be given because that's what he said. You shall find it. You shall find if you knock 
The door will be open to you. These are the promises of God. So come on and rejoice. Give thanks and sing. Rejoice. Celebrate good news we bring. Hide it in your heart. And never let it depart. These are the promises of God. One day the soldiers came and they took him. And led him to a hill called Calvary. Where they whipped him. And they took his life away. Now everybody's talking about the boy from Judah. And the world is never ever going to be the same. Just so amazing. Oh, when he told us that in my father's house. There are many mansions. Oh, if it were not so, you see, I would have told you, don't you know, I'm going away to prepare a place and I'm coming back for you one day because these are the promises of God. Hey, I'm going to say that again too. told you uh, <laughs> I'm gone away to prepare a place I'm coming back for you one day God. these are the promises of God so come on and rejoice give thanks and sing yeah Celebrate good news that we bring. Hide it in your heart. Never let it depart. These are the promises of a God. Oh, rejoice. Give thanks and sing. Yes, rejoice. Celebrate good news we bring. Hide it in your heart and never let it depart. These are the promises of God. Oh, hide it in your heart. Never let it depart. Because these are the promises of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. How revolutionary would that message be? Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Think about the people who came to see him. We saw the map earlier. There were Jews, there were Romans, there were Greeks, there were Syrians, Jordanians. They came as, from as far as like Amman, Jordan, Damascus, right? So these are, they're not familiar with Jewish law. Now the Jews, they're pretty familiar. They had 613 laws they had to obey. Right? We're having difficulty with the first one, love the Lord your heart with all your mind, soul, and strength. But they had 613. The Syrians, the Jordanians, they may not have even known about those, right? But they do know the need, the desire, the yearning to be close to God, even if they don't understand what that is. They don't understand, like you, you, think of this. First thing he said out of his mouth, opened up his mouth to teach, blessed are the poor in spirit. So, Understand that he's not talking about, he's not talking to spiritual giants, right? He's not talking to people who uh, they, they think they're in. I'm in. I obey all the laws. You know, like I said, good person, give to charity, right? Um, never really hurt anybody, or I try not to. Um, but Jesus is telling them, yeah, but poor in spirit, just means spiritually bankrupt yes and the outside you're doing these things but on the inside your spirit is bankrupt it's yearning for something that hasn't been filled it hasn't been satisfied and spiritually uh, or poor in spirit a lot of times traditionally we've been taught uh oh that means humble I'm, I'm, I'm poor in spirit because I'm humble. I, I understand. I acknowledge my spiritual poverty. Therefore, I'm humble. But Dallas Willard says in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, and I'm going to read it here, Rediscovering Our Hidden Life in God. Dallas Willard writes, if all we need to be blessed in the kingdom of the heavens is to be humble minded through recognizing our spiritual poverty, then let's just do that. And we've got bliss cornered. Because he said theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So all we got to do is acknowledge, yeah, I'm spiritually broke. Now I get to go to heaven. We escape the humiliation of spiritual incompetence because, strange to say, we've somehow managed to turn it into spiritual attainment just by acknowledging it. And we escape the embarrassment of receiving pure mercy. For our humble recognition makes blessedness somehow appropriate. So what does it turn to? It turns to works. I do this, I get that. I do this, I get that. When the kingdom of heaven is a gift made available from God. Does that make sense? So sometimes sometimes our, our desire, we, we need to understand why God does that. He, he did it because somehow I have some type of redeeming quality, right? I have something that he could look at and go, oh, I can bless them because they're, you know, poor in spirit, right? But then again, he keeps going, those who mourn. Anyone here, I think, can identify with that one. We have mourned losses of jobs. We've, lost, we've mourned loss of reputation, loss of loved ones, uh, you know, any anything you can think of, 
that you can mourn. We've all been there. And mourning, going through a period of mourning, sometimes leaves you carved out on the inside. You need, we need filling of that void. Right? Blessed are they who mourn. Some people say, well, you know, if you mourn over your sin, that's a blessing. You, you, you know, that's good. You're, that same thing as poor in spirit. Yeah, you can mourn over your sin, but that doesn't bring forgiveness. The kingdom of heaven, when you enter the kingdom of heaven, brings forgiveness. That's what we need when we mourn of all things. We mourn our sin. Yeah, but mourning is not sufficient. That's not going to make us right with God. And that's not going to heal our wounds. Blessed are the gentle. The context of this, I just want to kind of go back. I want you to understand the context. These are people who are not from Israel, a lot of them. They, they don't understand Israel's laws, just like Portuguese people may not understand Spanish law or no Spanish law, right? So, and you know, you're, you're a citizen of your own country. You might not understand your own laws, right? But, but these are things that we, we've turned upside down because of our sensibilities. We want to reason out why we deserve this blessedness, and we don't. So he's not talking to those people. He's not talking to people that are already there. They've arrived and they got entrance into the kingdom of heaven. This is not the case. So when you says you're blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. The gentle are those who are like, how can I put this without insulting somebody? The gentle are the ones who are like, I'd say they don't really stand up for themselves. So they tend to get walked on, trod over, yeah, d talked about, despised by people because simply like, get, grow a backbone, right? Get some courage, do stand up for yourself or something. Just be, don't be, don't be kind of like the you know, doormat for everybody. And so they end up being despised and in many cases despising themselves. They're like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I, you know, why can't I stand up for myself? Why can't I set the boundary? Tell people this is the this far and no further. Still that hungering, that hungry for more, that hungry for completeness, right? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Same thing, kind of when, when you think about that, you know, a lot of times we'll hunger and thirst for righteousness uh, in ourselves. But oftentimes these are the people who see, they look around the world and they see like this world is <laughs> a mess. And they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They want to see it, but they don't see it in the world. They don't see stuff happening that's supposed to be. They believe it's right. This is right. I don't see it. All I see is just, just bad things happening all the time, right? Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, they'll be satisfied because of the availability of the kingdom of heaven. Merciful. Merciful is like, oh, yeah, you just live your life. I'll live mine. You live your truth. Let you go with that, right? They're just they just they'll put up with anything, you know. Um, so they're they're forgiving of anything, you know. So those are the merciful people. But in the kingdom, if you think about it, that's a person who in in their in their inner being are like, you know, I, I forgave you for that, or I, I let you go with that. But is it still is it is it right? Is it good? You know, it's like, I'll, I'll be willing to let it go, but, you know, there's that in, inner peace that's just not there. 
And then finally, the pure in heart. Here's the one everybody, uh, including me, for a long time would get tripped up on. Because, see, we, we think that Jesus doesn't know how to put a sermon together. We think he's jumping around and doing different points and stuff. Okay, he's changing gears right now. No, the overarching message. Does everybody remember what the overarching message is? The kingdom of heaven is now available to everyone. That's repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everybody. The kingdom is for you. No one excluded. The pure in heart, when looked at in that context, they're the ones who want everything in its purest form. Perfection. So those of you who are perfectionists out there, don't email me and talk about what, you know, that was, what's wrong with that, right? Don't, okay. You want, and, but it's the thing that nothing satisfies you. Everything has to be in its purest form. It has to be perfect, including themselves again. It's like, I don't meet the standard. I'm not perfect and so unsatisfied, unfulfilled. And the message Jesus is telling them is, this is me, this is the kingdom of heaven available to you to enter into and find those needs satisfied. Get those needs met. Get those wounds healed. It's almost as if he's saying, okay, we already took care of the physical problems. Healing, deliverance, you know, freedom from demons, freedom from pain, freedom from sickness and diseases. Everything that you needed right there was met to prove that the kingdom of heaven is available now for you. Now, let's take care of the spiritual. Let's take care of the heart. Right? Does that, does now, does that sound like good news? That's the good news of the, of the gospel. The kingdom's available. It's right here. Doesn't matter what other people think of you and what your eligibility is. God, Jesus wasn't in the process of elimination, like some kind of spiritual process of elimination. It's like, because think about it. Are you, anybody here, raise your hand if you're pure in heart. Raise your hand. Pure? Trying. So we haven't got there yet. We're not pure in heart. The pure in heart, though, blessed are pure in heart, for they shall see God. So he didn't even deal with the people who were trying. He just dealt with the ones. He said, blessed are pure in heart. So he's talking about that, that, that's that journey, that, that quest for perfection that cannot be achieved. And so why is he saying, blessed are the pure in heart? Because who is the only perfect being in the universe? The pure in heart will see God. That's where your quest for perfection, that's where your desire to see everything in its purest form, that's where it will occur. You will see God. Amen? Amen. So I think that since none of us are disqualified, since all of us meet the, pre, you know, the prerequisites, we all meet the requirements to enter into the kingdom of, of heaven, I think that should be good news for all of us. Sometimes we haven't even really, we think we've heard the gospel and we really haven't heard it because it only comprised of 
Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sin. He rose again to give you eternal life. And that's, that's why you get saved. But that's a portion of the gospel. However, people ask him all the time, hey, you know what, we, we took, you know, we left families and we left jobs and stuff like that to follow you. What do we get? Right? That's the availability of the kingdom of heaven because Jesus told him, in this lifetime, you'll get this. You'll get houses. You'll get land. You'll get families with persecution, but that means you're not exempt from everybody else on the face of the earth that gets persecution, right? So you're not going to get blessing without any kind of challenges or problems. We're not talking about an ideal life now once you come to Jesus. You'll live your life just like everybody else on earth lives their life, and you will have problems. However, the difference is in the kingdom of God, God is your father now. And so God is, you have the favor of God, the blessing of God, where before, where all your efforts that you put forth reaped exactly what your efforts should. It's, a, it's kind of like it's here. But God's not in the, he's for some reason, God's not in the tit for tat. He's in the, I'm the over and above God. I'm the abundant God. Jesus said, I came to give you life. Devil, he'll come to kill, steal, and destroy. But I came to give you life and life to the full. So the answer to that question then, which is, well, what, what, what is Jesus going to do for me now? <laughs> it's important. Yes, the abundant life, God's favor on your behalf. And now you can walk through you know, with God on your side, with God ever present in the heavens when you pray, no distance hearing, answering, and working on your behalf in your life. That's the gospel. That doesn't excite you. Then uh, there's nothing more I can say. The word of God says it all. Because I like to put it this way. You know, how would you like to have um, great auto insurance on a car that does not work? That's what we're talking about. That's what people's questions are about. They're about, okay, great. The afterlife, that's good. I'm great. I can, I can, I can know I'm not going to hell. In it, but, but what are you going to help me with as I go through my daily struggles? Where's my help coming from right there? Is it, right now, I'm on my own. Not once you enter the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is available to you now to dramatically, drastically, and irreversibly change your life. Now, Gabby will talk about that next week, living in the kingdom. But for right now, you need to know this is not just some old futuristic, something floating around in, in somewhere, heaven, because your father is in the heavens. And his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Glory to God.